It's to be here again on our Monday morning chapels. And Dave, why don't you come on up? And as Dave is uh, approaching the table here, for those of you who don't know, it's a, a long-standing tradition of ours at our first morning chapel of the year. We have our president share with us. And yeah, let's give it up for our president. Uh, Kim and I, each year, we have the privilege of, of getting, getting to, you know, set the direction of our chapels and our series uh, for both Mondays and Wednesdays. And every year we have Dave uh, open it up for us. And uh, we're so appreciative and grateful for your ministry, not just in the classroom and for the school, but here in this room as well. So Thanks, bless Jeff. you. That's awesome. Wow. It's great to be with you. Um, can you believe a week ago today, you all were just moving in? Yeah, yeah it feels like we've been, uh, we've been together for the better part of a semester already. Uh, yeah, you're probably looking at me going, really? You're just old something like that. But welcome. It's good to have you all here. It's good to be together on this first uh, Monday morning chapel. And as Gavin said, he and Kim have uh, really sought the Lord and, and determined the direction for our morning and our Wednesday night chapels. Kim, by the way, last Wednesday night was fabulous. Um, it was great. It was awesome. Uh, and so our morning chapels are going to be focused on the book of Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, and I know you do, would you just turn to Colossians chapter 1? And, and Gavin and Kim uh, are, are, are really working on a, on a plan for our Mondays that involve inviting numbers of pastors from our province to come and sort of be pastors and residents and, and share their story with us. And uh, the, the theme scripture really that uh, really stood out to them and they asked me to speak on today is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through to the end of that little paragraph, 9 through 14. And um, the, the, the passage is amazing because it reflects Paul's prayer for people um, he didn't even know. His affirmation for a church that he hadn't visited, but he'd heard about. And really, in a lot of ways, we're going to pray this for pastors that we don't know. But we're going to pray this for one another, I hope, during the course of the semester as we grow to know each other better as a student body. Because right now, we can, we don't know each other. I, if you've seen me looking at you like I'm, I've lost my mind, it's because I'm trying to rack my brain to figure out what your name is. And you'll be asked again by numbers of faculty and maybe numbers of friends, you know, about that, about the identification, where you, who you are, where you're from. We're not, it's not a police, you know, takedown or anything. We just are getting to know you and getting to know your faces and who you are. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul thanks God for three things about the Colossian church as he begins this section. So in verses 3 to 8, you see what Paul is doing as he opens his letter. He thanks the Colossians. The first thing he celebrates is their faith. I thank God for your faith, which is seen around the world. Everybody knows about your faith, well-known and celebrated. He thanks them for their love, especially, Paul says, for believers. To me, that's very interesting. Uh, sometimes when we live together in a community, it's easy to love the world we don't know and sometimes more difficult to love believers that we do know. And do live beside, but Paul thanks them for the love they have for believers. Uh, and then he talks about their hope. 
And hope is an amazing virtue because it anchors our hearts and motivates our lives. It makes sense out of stuff we sometimes can't make sense out of. Um, Hope says, yes, there is an end in sight. Uh, For our Christian life, as we go through our Christian life and we have lots of questions we ask and we answer about our walk with God and we have his presence in a wonderful way, there are still questions that we go, wow, I don't always know the answers to those. And hope moves us towards the far horizon of heaven. It sustains us. This life isn't all there is. And so he thanks God for their hope. And uh, then as he prays for them, what's interesting in his prayer is the very thing he recognizes about them, their faith, their love, their hope, he turns around and prays for. And he prays that that, would, that, that faith and that love and that hope would be uh, would, would grow in a more dynamic and a more powerful way in their lives. That's what I love about this prayer. By the way, as a little aside, have you ever noticed when it comes to prayer, there are kind of two types of people in the Christian world? There are people I call connoisseurs of prayer. They take every workshop on prayer. They do every study on prayer. They have special places and special things they wear in seasons of prayer They have a prayer app on their phone. Um, They build up prayer fuel, so to speak. Um, And they feel that the more they pray, the more they can do the impossible. So it becomes sort of a work-oriented thing. And sometimes some of my friends who are prayer connoisseurs can be incredibly intense. But as I talk to them about how they pray and what they pray, I discover they don't pray very much. They just talk about prayer. They just go to prayer seminars. They have prayer badges they wear. They eat prayer foods and all that sort of stuff, but they don't pray very much. And then there's another group of people, well, they just pray. They just call out to the Lord. There's a problem, they just yell out Jesus. Doug Frederick is one of these kind of guys. He just screams out to God whenever there's a need. I love Doug. Doug and I have been friends for a whole lot of years, and and one of the things I admire about Doug is his heart for prayer because he just does it. And so no formality, no technique. No lessons to be learned. They just pray. And, and I got to tell you, I love being around those kind of people because when they say I'm praying for you, you know they are. Um, and when Paul says, uh, you know, I'm praying this for you, uh, what's interesting is then he tells people what he's praying. Have you ever been tempted when someone walks by you and says, Gav, I'm praying for you. And he, looks, he would look at me and, so what are you praying, Dave? And, and at that moment, sometimes the trite comments we make draw a blank for us, don't they? Well, I'm just praying that you shave your, shave your beard off. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> Gavin has got an amazing beard. I love it. But I'm just saying, sometimes when we say to people, I'm praying for you, it's just a trite sort of thing. But then there are other people when they say, I'm praying for you, you know they are. And when Paul says to the Colossians, this is what I pray we get a picture of what's on his heart for this church that he doesn't even know. But I think, and for the pastors that are going to be visiting us, we're going to pray this prayer over them. But I think we can pray this prayer over ourselves, and so we should, as we begin this semester. And I want you to notice, I'm going to read 9 to 14, and I want you to notice the language that Paul uses here, the faith, the love, the hope language that cycles out of this prayer, even though he doesn't use those direct words. So here we go, starting verse 9. And so from the day we heard, 
We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So pause there. First thing that I notice in this prayer is, is for Paul, prayer is continuous. It's not, okay, I'm going to give you a prayer, and that prayer is going to, you know, one prayer, and you're good for the rest of your life. No, Paul prays continuously for these people. Continue pray. And what does he pray? He prays that they would be continuously filled with a knowledge of his will. That's the key thing. Knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then he prays this in verse 10. So that's that's the faith piece, right? His faith's about knowing God. So he prays for their faith. Then in verse 10, he says, so as, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Here's the love piece. He prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work. That's about our relationships primarily, isn't it? And then in verse 11, he said, may you be strengthened with power. Final prayer is about power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who is qualified, and that word literally means to make you fit, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. Remember on Wednesday night, Pastor Kim talked about how God has placed us in the realm of his grace. We talked a little bit about that on on uh, Wednesday night, maybe I was just dreaming, but, but I think we talked about that. Uh, and, and, and so God transferring us, that's active language. He's placed us in the kingdom of his beloved son. And the interesting language there too of that word is, is it's not something he's gradually trying to do. He's not trying to drag us into his kingdom. He's transferred us, boom, we're there, into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. So this prayer, I think, is a pretty significant prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers of Paul in the book of Colossians. And if I were to summarize this prayer, if Paul were sending this prayer to the Colossians on their smartphones and he tweeted it, I think it would encompass three areas. He'd say, I pray you get God's will. I pray that you might be a living example of God's will. And I pray that you might be sustained by God's will as you live out your life. And that might be a growing and a developing thing. That we might get his will. God wants you to understand his will for today, for this season of your life and for your future. It's not a deep secret. It's anchored in your faith. When Paul prays that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of his will, It's about being filled with the knowledge of who God is. When we pray and we talk about God's will, we think of one or two things. What are the two things that come to our minds? Anybody? What do you think of first? When when somebody says, yeah, I'm just praying for God's will, what, what do you think of first? Yeah, where do I go with my life? What do I do? What vocation? Where has God called me? Some of us have sensed a drawing towards ministry, a calling towards ministry. uh, And uh, we want God to tell us everything. What church we're going to pastor. What it's going to look like. 
When is he going to call us? How much are we going to make? Are we going to be able to pay our students' loans? That's all God's will. You know about that job thing. What's the other thing that a lot of people ask when it comes to God's will, especially people in Bible college? Sorry? Sorry? Huh? Yeah, exactly. Who am I going to marry? Who's God's will for my life? Who's God's perfect will? What are you laughing at? I I just didn't hear spouse, so I just wanted... The magic word that was going to penetrate my mind was Mary. So, So you had to do Mary. But yeah, who's God's perfect will for me? Freshman ladies and freshman gentlemen, you probably had that thought or two. If not, it'll happen as time goes along. But, but I need to say something to you. If when you think about God's will, you think about what's going to be my, where's God going to lead me in a job? And who's God going to bring in my life who's going to be that man or woman that's going to be his perfect will for me? I heard Diane, by the way, <laughs> talking about Lauren Green, who she met, who is a movie actor. And I was, I was coming by her office and she referred to him, this person as larger than life. And I'm going, oh, she's talking about me. And, and then I discovered she wasn't talking about me at all. So, anyways, if God's will to you means where am I going to work and who am I going to marry, I think we need to chat about that. Because I think that we can be stuck sometimes in an understanding of God's will as as being, what should I do? And we want to make it confined to a task. I have to find it. So I can do it. I, I need to say, and, and there is an aspect of following God in, in uh, a vocation. And there is certainly an aspect of following God in, in a life choice for a life partner. Absolutely. But there's a more significant component to God's will. Um, and, and I think we have to understand this piece that Paul is praying and integrate this piece into our lives before we go on some kind of a glorified Easter egg hunt to find the other stuff that's important to us. See, before we can ever get, the, get to the what to do part of God's will, we have to understand the who is God and who does he want me to be part of his will. It's about growing in our faith. It's about knowing him and walking with him and developing the depth of relationship with him. It's about the transformation of our character every day. God's will is about making you and I into the image of Jesus, growing disciples. That's what Paul is praying for the Colossians. God calls us to respond to daily character shaping moments. Daily, those events that form our character. While you're at summit, it'll happen in classes. It'll happen in the dorm. It'll happen in chapel. It'll it'll happen in the midst of situations you don't feel like you're totally in control of. It is reflected many times in the thoughts and the attitudes and and the responses that we develop through our lives. You see, faith is not just Holding a certain set of beliefs. Yeah, I have faith. Here's what I subscribe to. Well, that, that's important. 
course it is. You're going to get be taught doctrine and Bible here at Summit. And, and by all means, is that significant? But it's not just what it means. Neither is faith a past action that we make and we forget about. Yeah, I accepted Jesus at camp a billion years ago, and it doesn't matter how I live my life now because I'm signed, sealed, and delivered over there. Jesus brought me into his family. Faith's about an ongoing, vital, and hear this word because I picked it specifically, friendship with God, growth in our knowledge of him. It's fleshing out our character. It's God forming us and working in our lives to live out our faith. You know, as we allow God to do that, it's funny how the other pieces that we so fixate on fall into place. They just do. As you're following Jesus, he takes you places. As you cultivate the ability to walk with him and hear his voice, he tells you things. He directs you. How do you keep growing in this? Well, you just pay attention to the character moments, the conduct moments. If God had an iPhone, and I wish he did, he may, in fact, in those moments when we're completely frustrated, send us a little text. Text says, remember those character-shaping moments Dave was talking about? You're in one. Right? Those are the, that's the dynamic of knowing the will of God. And Paul prays that they would understand the will of God through wisdom and understanding that the Spirit brings. How does the Spirit bring wisdom and understanding? Through His Word. Through those moments where he speaks to us and prods us into his presence. So God wants us to recognize and grow in our understanding of his will. And it's bigger than where I go and who I marry. And we need to pray that for each other. That we would grow in his will in in our relationship to him. He also prays that the Colossians and us would be examples of his will. So Paul talks about Walking in love, growing in love. So you can't know God's will without there being a subsequent transformation of how you live out your Christian life, how you live with other believers. And so he prays that the Colossians, and I think he prays by extension for us, that we would walk worthy of the Lord, walk in a way that's pleasing to God, when you see the uh, word walk in the New Testament, get out your word study and open up your dictionary. Those of you Greek scholars will be able to tell me the walk is the Greek word peripateo. That's very deep. In English, it's translated to walk. But many times in the Bible, it means more than taking a walk. It means how you live. It means your total, encompassing your total lifestyle. Speaks of our conduct. Speaks of how we live in community. That's the number one critique of the church. Don't say marry or spouse. Number one critique. What's the number one thing that, that people criticize Christians for? Hypocrisy. They don't live out their beliefs. What Paul says here is it's so profoundly significant that you live out your faith, your understanding of God's will, that people know that you live such a good life they see God in you. Peter says we're to live such lives. And so when the world stands before God, they have nothing but to acknowledge that God was in us because they sensed his presence. So what does this look like? Well, you 
Walk worthy by bearing fruit, by your good works, by your lifestyle, by the things you do, by cultivating the spirit of generosity, by reaching out and loving people who might be unlovely. Now, these good works don't get you saved. But when you meet the transforming power of God face to face, it changes you and you become a different person. And that stuff should take root in your heart and life. And when Paul talks about increasing in the knowledge of God, for those of you that are following uh, the text with me, um, he's not talking about just head knowledge. You are going to increase in the knowledge of God while you're at summit. Some days you're going to feel in your classes that someone has put a funnel in your ear and is cramming knowledge of God into your poor, sad brain. You feel worn out by the experience. It's more than that. Knowledge of God is more than just head knowledge. It involves head knowledge, but also involves heart knowledge. Experiential knowledge. Friendship knowledge. Now, I know that uh, all of us are familiar, over-familiar with the term of friend since the advent of social media, right? I have hundreds of friends. Many of them don't even know how to spell my name, but they're still my friends. But they're not my friends. They're not real friends. They're just people who have clicked on a box and follow what I say. Sometimes it's profound, sometimes it isn't, sometimes it's very boring. But they're my friends, quote unquote. Those aren't, that's not the friendship of God we're talking about. We're talking about the experience of a real friend. So, What do you want from friendship? Is that a hard question? Besides someone who is a name that's on your list of friends on social media, what are the important aspects of friendship that you want? Great. Somebody else? Trust. What else? Loyalty. Genuineness. Accountability. Accountability. That's huge. Somebody else. What do you want for friendship? Consistency. Consistency. Someone's going to be there for you. Understanding. Joy. Shared interest. All those things are important. Those are the qualities that God wants you to extend to the people he brings along your path as you become their friends. Not just a social media friend, but a real human being and a real friend. And that's the kind of friendship that God calls us into. The friendship that is joy-filled, that is accountable, that is caring, that brings us security. So we live our lives extending God's friendship that we've experienced to the world. Um, one of the songs we sung, and, and I'm not dissing the song, but, but it just had me thinking in light of this sermon. You know, we sang this song about catching God's gaze. I need to tell you something. It's a great song. I love it. You know, because it, it echoes David's desire to be found in the temple of God. You know, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after them and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But when it comes to catching his gaze, guess what? You've already caught it. You're already the apple of his eye. 
You just need to live out that reality. And I think that's what the song was calling us to do, to live out a reality that already exists in, in terms of God's friendship in our lives. So two growth areas, how we live out our faith and, and in the world, but also growth in our understanding of who God is. I often say that the challenge we face in a place like Summit, and I love Summit, been here 17 years, still haven't graduated, um, is the challenge that we have to accept uh, that the dynamic of academic pursuits can't outweigh our personal friendship with God. They have to balance. Um, So... Take time for that personal intimacy with the Lord. Make sure it doesn't get eclipsed. But recognize that it's important to also take time for others and build friendships. Press on to knowing Him in a transforming way and knowing others in a genuine, in a real way. You'll make friends here at Summit that'll last the rest of your lives. Seriously. So, Will Fildebrand, Rob McIntyre, and I were in Summit together about a million years ago. And we're still friends. Doug Frederick, Gavin Briscoe, Andrew Evans. Um, we worked together at Broadway Church. We're still friends. And those, those are tough years, right? <laughs> Mark Hawks and I share grandchildren, and we're still friends. Corey Sorensen and, and Diane and I go back to ministry at Delta Church, and we're still friends. Why? Because, because God calls us to build deep friendships and walk out our Christian faith in a powerful way. I just said something smart alecky to Corey because I can see him laughing in the back corner. Paul also prays this, that we might experience God's will, which births hope, okay? So we, we want to understand God's will. We want to live out God's will, but we want to experience God's will, which births hope. And in verse 11, Paul uses some very experiential language. He prays that God, out of his power or might, and see here the number of times Paul uses these words, out of his power or his might, his glory, the power that flows from his character would empower or strengthen us with power. Wow, lots of power language there. And what I believe Paul is praying is that the Colossians and us too would know something Uh, not just of of the personal intimacy, uh, not something of the, you know, knowledge of God, but would experience something of the tangible presence, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that will empower us to live these things out as we move forward. Uh, We think of the power of the Spirit, and I don't know what you think of, Some people think that the power of the Spirit will make them a famous evangelist. You know, people get healed, thousands will come, or or they'll be able to influence people or have a particular experience. But uh, I think Paul is saying that the power of the Spirit brings these things into our lives. He brings endurance. What is endurance? In the biblical sense, it's the the Greek word makruthumia, which means to have a large soul, a large heart. Uh, Endurance primarily involves people. Now, we live together in a dormitory, the Holcroft Macrothomia Dormitory, in which God will build character in our lives by 
teaching us what it means to endure one another. And it's not just put up with one another, but develop an attitude of large soul. We genuinely care for one another. And we put up with some of the crazy things that each other do because we love each other. The presence of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit also brings something that Paul calls patience. And that typically we reflect on patience as as being people-focused, but actually the word literally means to bear up under, which points not to people, unless you're piggybacking someone around the campus, then you need patience, or the Greek word hupomones. But, but the word actually means to endure under pressure and under tough circumstances. Sometimes in our lives, Things don't always go the way we want them, and we feel pressed in by the circumstances. And what's our temptation? Our temptation is to run. But the presence of the Spirit gives us the ability to endure. Why do we endure under different circumstances? Because we have hope, right? We have hope of better things. And because we have joy, and Paul talks about joy. Joy is that anchoring emotion, the sense of well-being, of centeredness, despite what we're going through. Joy isn't rooted in circumstances, but it's rooted in the character, and hear this, the promises of God. Then he says, have an attitude of thanksgiving, posture that finds its source in our understanding of God's great grace in our lives, our salvation experience. That anchors our hope. Paul talks about the presence of the Spirit, giving us patience, giving us endurance, giving us joy. Um, But in Romans 15, 13, he sees the Holy Spirit as the author of that hope. So the presence of the Spirit in our lives anchors us, gives us hope, and helps us endure in difficult moments. So as we pray for one another in the days ahead, I hope you do, and I hope you take this prayer to your heart. Um, I think we need to pray that for each other, that daily, We have these dynamic encounters with God's word in his spirit so that we can understand better who God wants us first to be, how to live, and then what we need to do. We also need to pray that we would all be convicted in the tough moments, in the endurance moments, in the impatient moments to translate his will into fruitful living, to grow in our relationship with God and live a radically changed life that honors him here and in the world. Sometimes folks say summit's a bubble. We need to get out in the real world. Friends, if you can't live this in a bubble, you ain't going to live it in the real world. That's just the bottom line. You can't love people who are of the same family as you are, same faith. You can't work through stuff here. You'll never do it in the world, right? Right? Sure it is. The other thing we need to pray for one another, the last thing we need to pray for one another, that we would experience a real empowering and a renewed empowering and a continued empowering of his Holy Spirit. Because the experience of the Spirit anchors our hearts and our hope. I can make it through today. I can survive this term paper. 
I can get through midterms because I get what tomorrow looks like. In the short run, it'll be a degree and a diploma and a fancy dress you get to wear in front of a bunch of different people. In the long run, it means heaven, right? An eternity with him. I can do today because I get where tomorrow is. That's hope. Pray for faith. Pray for love. Pray for hope. Amen? Let's stand. Jesus, thank you for this word. May the prayer of Paul be a prayer that often crosses our lips as we think about one another and as we pray for one another and as we look to a great semester ahead. Bless our student body. And Lord, as we move towards the cafeteria, I also pray that you would bless the meal we're going to enjoy together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day.